This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Miranda, the girl who's been known to pass out for many reasons. (laughs) And that's Mel, the girl who once during a cross-country race fractured her ankle and just kept on running till she finished. (laughs) Oh, I sure did. Probably wasn't the best decision. (laughs) I mean, you're such a badass, though. And and I really need that energy in my life, because if I fractured my ankle, I would have just fucking passed out. Um, I have got to tell you about this weirdo coffee shop that I went to today, um, because all my plans backfired on me. Right. As as they often do. Well, tell me how your plan started. Like, what was the what was your intention? So my intention was I had to take Fisher to school and then I had a meeting at nine, right? So Fisher's got to be dropped off like 7.15. So I'm like, I've got like a glorious little hour here that I could do something with. I didn't want to come home because I knew if I did, I was just going to default to like doing housework or unloading Mm -hmm. the dishwasher. You would have have unloaded the dishwasher. I would have. I would have. Clean the floors. (laughs) I know I have a floor cleaning compulsion. You do. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take it's a little ever moment. ever since you took that janitorial class, you can't stop <laughs> really with the is. floors. You know, when you're a globally certified custodial <laughs> I, technician, you understand <laughs> that floor sanitation is the most important sanitation. Really, we have a lot of cats oh stuff my going gosh. on on the floors <sighs> over here. Yeah, the toxoplasma. The toxoplasma, which is why you have two new cats because of it. And it's even worse now because you got two litter boxes in the house. So that shit is everywhere, uh, okay? Are you kidding? I've it's got everywhere. three. Oh, my it's... gosh. That's way too many litter boxes in the house. Well, there's three cats. As a certified custodial technician, I would advise against having multiple litter boxes. I'm just kidding. But anyway. Listen, so... I will make you an appointment with that veterinarian that I met with because he told me I'm supposed to have four. Oh, my gosh. Number of cats plus one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, the veterinarian was—he was a cat psychologist, and he, he knew was. he knew what your cats needed to achieve self-actualization. I and trust him. <laughs> in the cases for your cats, it's just more litter boxes. Turns so, out the answer is God. more litter boxes and Prozac. Prozac. Yeah, I love it. Okay, I love I'm it. sorry. I, I keep interrupting. Some. So you were going to go to, to me, a it, sounded, it sounded like a perfect window for like a Panera yeah. or Starbucks right. situation. Right. And I you love know Starbucks. how I feel about the soufflés at I love Panera. the soufflés. And I know that you will like knock somebody down to get to one because well, they go fast. I mean, that early in the morning, you wouldn't have even had to. You would have been good yeah, to go. They, they would have been fully stocked. Yeah. By the time you roll out of bed and get to Panera on like a random Thursday that you took off work, they're gone. No. They're but gone. if you go after school drop off, they're going to have them. Really? They restock. Oh, well, well you no, mean, oh, but like drop off so in the early. morning. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Indubitably. Okay. Well, so, so you like, decided that you were going to be a responsible consumer. I was going to support local, damn it. Okay. And because I love Starbucks with a burning passion, mm-hmm. but I also despise myself for loving Starbucks with well, a burning passion. I don't passion. know that you need to be that intense with your feelings, but like, you're probably I just, right. I just don't love their coffee personally. Well, 
and and it depends, you know, because some people know what they're doing in there, some people don't. It's it, the consistency no, is it's way not off. that at all. It's literally just how the coffee itself tastes. It always has a Taste like a burnt, burnt taste yeah. to me, and I yeah. it's not my it's not my cup yeah. of coffee. <laughs> it's not my cup of coffee. So there was definitely a Starbucks, but there was also this cute little place that came up on my Google search for coffee cafes nearby and it had a really cute name it was like all's well that ends well or something or as well or something i was it was like a little punny little play on words Mm -hmm. i was like that's cool like we'll go check it out so i drive down there and um it's like this little hole in the wall kind of tucked away and i'm like this is looking cute this is looking cozy i could come in here right this is good yeah i walk up to the menu and it's literally one of those like it's like one of those multi-level marketing, like they sell the Vitamix, like the powder with the wellness boosts and the energy enhancers mm-hmm. and the, the, and I'm like, this is not a cafe. These like, this are is all not bad a- signs. These are all bad signs. And John Mayer was playing and there was like an well, old man in there. Well, that did not help you because you love John Mayer. <laughs> yeah, but I, I kind of have grown to not love him so much lately. Oh, thank goodness. I, I didn't know. get the memo. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been like a downward trajectory yes um and trevor hall is filling that void for me in my life now okay um and and i think he's just a better human but um anyway anyway so i'm like well i'm here let's just go up and order you know what what can they make so you know i'm like okay well do you guys do a um i can't remember what the first thing i asked for was oh like a vanilla and and you know i have to be really careful with caffeine but i'm like i can do one shot of of uh espresso in like a big cup of milk so i'm like could you do a single shot espresso with like some lavender and some vanilla in there and like some oat milk and they're like well no because all of our espresso so comes in doubles and I'm like just leave the other one empty maybe and she's just like shrug emoji so I'm like okay, I mean well, that what seems about- like a really bad business plan like I know. well like, I, mean, it's- I, I mean I know that you're sensitive to caffeine and like I could drink a double espresso but there's many people who could not just give me a single. Like, that's all I need. Yeah. Like, you don't want to see this girl on a double espresso. Or can you make the whole thing and then just put half in my drink? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's what I should have suggested. But I'm not the barista. I'm paying her to be I, the barista. Uh, yes. No, I understand. And she is like, well, I we can't do that. So I'm like, okay, what about a chai tea latte? And she's like, well, our chai tea is like a powder. And so it's not really black tea. It's more like a blend. But it has an immune booster with, with reishi mushrooms. No, that's a multi-level <laughs> marketing scheme. And I'm like, sweetie pie, that's not what I want either. And so Ugh. then I finally just landed on a matcha green tea, which I really, really like. Um, okay. And she made it with oat milk. And it but was very creamy. what did it have in it? The same as like a powder. Everything, everything in there was a powder. It was all powder. It's so, like powder in the bag with the scoop. It, it was and a they like froth it up. Yeah, and 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 here's how you know that it is. When you walk in, they've got the big display case of all the products in the little bags and all the things, and you're just like, well, that's what that's what they do here, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, but the place was really cute. They had lots of velour furniture and like marble well, I tables. I do love velour furniture. I, yeah, I, you, you do, and and. They had plenty of it to choose from. You would have really enjoyed that part. Was it so I'm, so I'm a variety like, okay. of colors? Yes, definitely. And they had a mix of warm and cool tones. So I was okay. feeling kind of jiving. Hey, I was know, kind of that's jiving. Kind of my, that's kind of my vibe. I like yeah. the mix of the... The atmosphere was nice. I'm going to okay. give them an 8.5 on their atmosphere. Okay, well, after the John Mayer song ended, what came on next? Oh, my gosh. So you would have loved the first part of the playlist because the first part of the playlist was like Fleet Foxes, Sufjan Stevens. Yeah, like they they were kind of playing some some hits. They had um, the Lumineers. um, They had um, the Head and the Heart. Like they had like kind of that kind of vibe going, which was perfect. And then all of a sudden it switched to Hey Soul Sister by Trey. And it felt so, very abrupt. And I felt very offended. And then Hazel guess what happened after? Hazel Sister by Train? 
Hey, soul sister, ain't that Mr. Mr. I always forget that that's train. I know, that because was like later train, right? Yeah, that was like, train, that was like trying not... to come back and be cool again. Yeah, it was bad. It was okay. Train, you should have just stuck with Drops of Jupiter. We loved you with that Drops of really, Jupiter. That was a really, really good song. Or were, was it um, Meet Virginia? Man, meet Virginia, you should have just that's stuck also with a really Meet great Virginia. Song. But then they did that soul sister shit, soul and sister. it was just like, you're a mm. sellout train Mm -hmm. we don't love you like we used to kind of like john mayer so then here's what is so so, so speaking of john mayer here's where things got really interesting because i was attuned to the playlist and after hey soul sister went off guess what fucking song came on the same exact john mayer song that came on when i walked in and i'm like have y'all got this thing on like a one hour loop people switched spotify stations and John Mayer's on both of them. N- no. You think it's a loop of like 12 songs? It's a loop. It's a loop. Because guess what came on after the John Mayer song? Stop it. They Fleet have a 12, they have a 12 song playlist that repeats all day? Every hour on the hour, baby. Because no. when I tell you no. I got there at 8 there and I so left at 9. There are so many songs in the world. <sighs> There are so many songs in the world. And and the playlist was slapping until it got to train. And then I was like, you know what? I'm done nope. here. Well, but not just that it was train. It was sold out train. It like it, Train would have been fine. If they Ugh. had thrown Meet Virginia at you, you would have been like, yeah, I forgot. How I would have been like, okay. Was. Was okay. Like, it's kind yeah, of a, it, right. it kind of fits in. Okay, whatever. Okay. But yeah, it so was that. you're at an MLM place yes. with nice so, furniture that has a repetitive playlist. Exactly. And and I have to back up to the counter because this is where things went terribly wrong. Terribly, terribly, okay. terribly wrong. Because I wanted to get some breakfast, right? Because I had this meeting. It was like a three-hour meeting. And I'm like, I got to get some mm-hmm. food in me before I walk in here. And if I had been at Starbucks, it would have been the impossible breakfast sandwich. Now, see, if I had been at Starbucks, I would have gotten those uh, those sous The egg bites. bites. You like the egg bites. I, I know like you do. Those. I know you They're do. They're really good. They just don't fill me up. I need some more mm, i need more food than that that's because if, there's no carbs <laughs> yeah i guess that's true i need the carbs so so i'm like well you guys have food here and she's like well we have smoothie bowls and i'm uh, like great i don't even know what that is i don't understand i know what a smoothie is right i know what a bowl is correct i don't a smoothie does not belong in a bowl it so belongs in a this- cup so, with a so, straw. Well, that's what you would think. But the multi-level marketing people that sell the powder to make the smoothies pour the smoothie into the bowl, which is actually a coconut shell, and it was kind of cute. Oh, and then... Cute. Okay. And then I mean, there's cute. granola on top of that. Okay. There's honey on top of that. There's so this is like flakes. those acai bowls yeah, that yeah, were yeah, yeah. at that place yeah. where yeah, the Alex works for a minute. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And they slice the banana and kind of flay it out, you know, so you can kind of see it circle. Was and then there they... acai involved? Uh, no, because I specifically requested for no acai. Because here's the other thing. It's the morning time. I don't want a lot of acidity, fruity stuff on my stomach. So I'm like, just load it up with peanut butter and granola. Like, I'm here for the for the you basics. You were looking... Your, your taste buds were looking for something warm. I should have gone to fucking Hardee's is what I should have done, <laughs> you okay? You should have gotten... Was there it a Bojangles been, nearby? It should have been. Biscuits and, and gravy. biscuit sounds oh perfect. Perfect. Oh, That's God. what I should don't done. talk about the Hardys that day. That you oh, were, no. Two, when you were pregnant when I was so and you pregnant. ate like two, two biscuits and gravy <laughs> trays Remember from Hardys. I looked it up? It was like 3,000 wow. calories or something. And I'm not even sorry. I'm not even sorry, okay? I had a 10-pound baby thanks to that Hardys, all right? Yeah, it was well, glorious. Mm. So it was so funny because she, she I, I ordered the smoothie bowl. And I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds good. Well, I need to eat something, right? I'm already here. Might as well. Okay, I'll take your weird bowl. She swivels the iPad around because it's, of course, they have the iPad on the swivel stand. With the Square um, app or Yes, the Square. And it's um, $20.83. Oh, no. And I'm like, fuck. I could have gone to Starbucks. No, this is for the drink also. This is the drink and the smoothie bowl. And don't get me wrong. The smoothie bowl was good. It was good. But... You're it exactly wasn't. Your right. belly wanted something warm. I wanted something warm. And it was so cold. And I was so shivery. And then I, it's like when you get that cold down in your belly and mm-hmm. you're just cold. That was me all day long. So so the lesson here is just go to fucking Starbucks. Yeah, that's, I agree. That's the moral of the story. I, or I concur. Or yeah. Panera. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Take me to Panera right fucking now. Right. I will go there. 
yeah. So that Damn. was my story. But it, good on you for trying to support <laughs> I local tried businesses. I to support local. Yeah, I tried. It definitely backfired. Ugh. All right. Well, let's take a break and come back. Okay. So, Melanie, what is our medical mystery of the day? Today, we're going to talk about endometriosis. Ooh, good um, one. Yeah. Well, I've heard about it many, many times. There's Mm -hmm. lots of people that I have met um, in my life and known that I know have struggled with endometriosis. But Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I never really sat down to consider what that actually is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Have you? I mean... I, I have had two of my really good friends who have had endometriosis um, and have gone through some fertility struggles and things like that, um, and, and that was a big part of their journey, uh, was kind of getting that diagnosis, and then um, they ultimately had to have surgery. So I know a little bit about it, probably enough to be dangerous, but would definitely love to love learn more. Well, I did a good bit of research, and the one thing that really surprised me is that it is sort of a mystery. Like... Mm-hmm. I know we we talk about medical mysteries to try to um, help gain understanding and that sort of thing, but even the medical community doesn't fully understand what causes endometriosis. Really? Um, But essentially what it is, is the endometrium, which is the inner layer of the uterus. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the part that we all lose during our menstrual cycle. That's the... The messy thing that creates that the need line. for tampons and pads and <laughs> menstrual cups and all of those things. All of those things. Yeah. But the endometrium actually grows outside of the uterus. Outside um, of it? like Outside of the uterus. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. So it's that same tissue that builds mm-hmm. up each month, mm-hmm. but it's in places where it shouldn't be. Okay, so it's it's not it's not normal for it to grow outside of the uterus, right? It's totally okay. normal for it to grow within inside, the uterus, and then but you then know, it becomes. Here's your period. just a short list of places that it can grow. Okay, um, outside and like behind your uterus, so just kind of in your oh, wow. abdominal cavity. Oh dang! In your fallopian tubes, in yeah. your ovaries, in the wow. vagina. Hmm. Um, it can actually grow in the lining of your abdomen, in the, the peritoneum. Oh, my god! It can attach to the bladder and the ureters. Wow. It can grow around your intestines. Wow. Rectum. And then it even says the diaphragm. Oh, my gosh. Well, that like, <laughs> makes so much sense because everybody I know who has had endometriosis has had a lot of pain. And you think about all of that tissue causing pressure and swelling on like all of those areas, like that's got to be so painful. Absolutely. So wow. um, obviously, you know, as with most things in life, endometriosis has different um, levels or stages to it. Sure. Like people have cases that vary from very mild to severe. Mm-hmm. Um, it can even lead to like, if you have very severe um, endometriosis, there can be lesions and even like cysts on your ovaries yes. that cause scar tissue right. um, and in your intestines and all of that. So that is why right. I think many of the people that we have known have had to have surgeries for it. Cause, sure. You know. and, and it explains <laughs> fertility issues because um, one, of my, one of my friends who had this, um, the tissue kind of grew, I guess, in between her ovary and her fallopian tube so that eggs were never reaching the fallopian tube to be fertile. Fertilized, and so they had to go in and basically remove that entire ovary, all of that tissue, and she um, only had her other ovary as a chance to um, to get pregnant. So yeah. I mean, they, I mean that all makes sense. It, it can. It seems like it's kind of just haphazardly growing wherever it wants, wow. <laughs> and, they're, and they're not sure why. It's just an uh, overgrowth of the tissue. Right. So, wow. you know, of course, me, I'm like, but why? Why? Yeah. Why is that happening? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> always. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't really know exactly why it's happening, but they do know um, what can cause you to have a higher risk for endometriosis. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times it runs in families. Yes. So if there's a family history, you're kind of more likely to develop it. Um, 
This one made me laugh. This I saw in several different articles, which of course we'll put in the show notes. But um, you're actually higher risk for endometriosis if you have your first period when you're younger. Define younger. Like, what does that mean? People who begin menstruating before the age of 11 are at a higher risk. Wow. Like any of us have any control over that. Yeah. I mean, bless. But that is something I would love to maybe do for another episode because I feel like I've heard, and, and I don't know, I need to check my sources, that um, girls are trending to menstruate earlier and earlier in life than they were. I think that I've heard that too. And I bet it has a lot to do with hormones and environmental factors. We need to look into that. But yeah, it's just like you said, there's there's nothing that you can do to control when you have your first period. You can't, that's so outside of your control. I know it just it just cracked me up because in all the research it's like uh, normally when you see a list of risk factors you're like oh well what can I do to minimize my risk right let me stop smoking let me exercise (laughs) don't start your period when you're 10 like check check that'd be great like any 10 year old wanted to start their period ever she did not okay she did not it's like that time my family took me to Dollywood well actually it was just my dad took me to Dollywood and I was um, on my period and I think I was maybe like 13 and I had brought my little fanny pack, you know, because fanny packs were so oh, stylish. Yeah, to have your and and I had in. like all my pads in my fanny pack to go to Dollywood and my dad like wanted to put his wallet and like all his stuff in my fanny no. pack and no. he was like he wanted me to carry it and be like the pack mule for the Dollywood trip and he's like standing there with like his wallet and his sunscreen and he's like well can't we put these in your fanny pack and I'm like um um n- 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 no and I never will forget he like came over and unzipped it to look what was like taking up all the space and he was like oh Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. He was, like, mortified. Because <laughs> that wasn't even on his radar that that's no. what was going to be in there. No, 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 no. It was so funny. And he was just like, I think he just carried everything in his pockets after that. Probably in his cargo shorts, because my dad to this day still wears cargo shorts. Well, I mean, they, they are functional. <laughs> They're very functional. But all uh, of that to say, no girl wants to start her period at age 10. Nobody no. wants that. They definitely don't. And then to know that it actually puts you at a higher risk of developing endometriosis is kind of like a double negative. You know, that's like something our our moms who are listening right now, if you have a daughter and maybe she did start her period younger, that's something to have on your radar and kind of keep in the back of your mind Does she may be at a higher risk for endometriosis. So file that one. File that one away, moms. And that, honestly, that brings us to what I was going to mention next, which are what are the first symptoms typically. Mm. Um, um, many people who have pain during their periods from endometriosis, it, so like those folks who have very painful periods, right? Like um, which that's very uh, that's very subjective and like kind of hard um, to judge. Like I know a lot of us are like, come on, just buck up, you'll be fine. But go it, to it work. Could, go it to could work. Be the symptom of, of something You're else. Bleeding into your shoes. Get out of bed and be somebody. Well, yeah. isn't that what women are expected to do? But I digress. <laughs> um, they say that the pain is often felt in your abdomen, lower back, and pelvis. So it can sure. be kind of all around. Well, really. and my gosh, when you were talking about how the tissue can be like even on your, um, I think you said your ureter and like around your rectum yeah. and stuff. Like imagine like even using the bathroom has to be so painful. And like if if your bladder gets too full, like it's it's got to be really, really painful. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So what can you do? Obviously, there's always things you can do. Um And, of course, they have to diagnose you first, which there's a variety of ways that they do that. Like, a lot of times they'll suspect it. Um, Obviously, if you're having symptoms or your child is having symptoms, mention it to their doctor or OBGYN. A lot of times they do an ultrasound or even an MRI. Um, And then sometimes there's more invasive things that they have to do to determine, you know, that it really is endometriosis. But let's say you're a person who has it and then... 
you know, how do you deal with it, which depends on a lot of things. And as you mentioned, um, a lot of the ways that they tackle endometriosis really depend on your plans for having children. There's a variety of answers to that question, too. You know, if you have really severe endometriosis and you're already done having kids or you don't want to have any kids, then there's more options on the table. Yeah, but, they may at that point just give you a full hysterectomy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not outside of the realm. But here's another thing that I had never really thought about. Because this endometrial tissue is growing in places it's not supposed to, that doesn't change the fact that it's very hormonally driven. So, I was going to ask about that. Like, does it still follow your cycle? Yes. Wow. Okay. And that's just that's just crazy to me because wow. here you have this this tissue in your abdominal cavity, mm-hmm. but it like. It never I guess leaves. more or less kind of like swells and, you know, with your period. So right, right. it really explains a lot of um, the pain and, you know, the difficulty. Wow. It, it really still is a lot, you know, there's there's a lot of mystery to the whole thing. Did, did you read in there if it's, and I can't remember, I don't think it's the follicular phase of your menstrual cycle. Maybe it's the luteal phase. There's, there's one phase where like your tissue grows basically that lining grows yeah and I'm, i bet it's in that phase where it gets really really bad for very people painful with because everywhere that that tissue is it's growing it it's pushing out yeah, yeah it's expanding and it doesn't have anywhere to go because it's not draining out of your uterus into your vagina like it like it should yep hundred percent so this is another one of the like really fun parts of being a woman (laughs) there's so many fun parts everybody there really are we highly recommend it such a blessing (laughs) oh my gosh but no I, i i do have a question about that though because it's like you think about this tissue and it's just growing and growing and growing in there it doesn't have anywhere to go i mean eventually i imagine there would be like bloating or these areas would swell and get really Mm -hmm. big and I mean if you don't go in there and remove it what happens to that tissue it just keeps waxing and waning swelling and not swelling my goodness so it's yeah I mean everybody give a little extra love to your to your friends and family that you know have um have struggled with this yeah um now, the question, you know, my question is always like, well, can it be completely prevented? No, it, sure. it cannot be. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of times it is genetic. There are a few things that can reduce your risk, mm-hmm. but nothing is like an end-all situation. Hmm. Um, ironically, one of the things that can reduce your risk for endometriosis is Getting pregnant. Oh, well, sure. That makes sense because you're not yeah. getting a period while you're pregnant or while you're breastfeeding. So so pregnancy, breastfeeding's next on the list, wow. actually. That could um, be like a just, I mean, give your give your body, I was going to say give your body a break. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, no, pregnant that's breastfeeding. Definitely, definitely <laughs> it's, not it's a break. A different kind of break. That's oh, a man. whole separate situation. Woo, never mind. Never mind. Um, that's a trade-off, ladies. That's that a is trade-off. a trade-off that, Don't. that comes with with a heavy cost yeah but this one here I just have to I'm gonna we'll kind of wrap it up there I mean there are treatments there's there's hope I know Um, there's a lot of surgeries that they do there are a lot of surgeries it has been proven that maintaining a healthy weight for you as an individual can be helpful Mm-hmm. I mean, this goes into one of those catch-22 situations where, like, I'm sure everyone wants to maintain a healthy weight, but you, if you have extreme abdominal pain, like, going to the gym might not really be on the top yeah. of your list. Right. Definitely. I've but, I've heard that women, my friends who have had endometriosis, like, when they are on their periods, it is painful for them to walk. Like, just yes. to initiate the abdominal, like, lifting your legs to walk hurts terrible yeah so I mean yeah it's not like oh well let me go run three miles no no yeah my goodness what's wild to me is that there's so much in the world as far as medical science and whatnot and I've I read many articles and almost all of them listed this this list in some version warm baths hot water bottles and heating pads can give quick relief from endometriosis pain I don't know. Over about time, quick. 
lifestyle changes like these might help. Eat right. Eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Exercise regularly. It's like... Oh, my goodness. That's what you see on everything. That's what you all came up with? <laughs> Eat fresh fruits and vegetables. Drink a lot of water. Yeah. Get get plenty of sunshine. Avoid you know, alcohol. Avoid caffeine. I just, I just so, really do want to recognize women out there and even my friends who have struggled and are struggling with endometriosis because it is it changes your life. And especially when you think about... Um, the friends I've had who have struggled with fertility. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's so hard. It is so hard. In all serious, Melanie, you know, I, I know one of the things on the list was, oh, get pregnant and breastfeed and do do these things to avoid the negative symptoms of endometriosis. And I feel like I feel like, honestly, that's kind of a slap in the face to women who have endometriosis and are trying so hard to get pregnant. And two of my friends have gone through that journey, and it's just it's just terrible because, yeah, being pregnant is definitely no walk in the park. However, you get to have a baby at the end of being pregnant, you know? You get to, right. you get to have your your dreams come true and and it's so awesome and it's so wonderful so i don't want to be insensitive to that because like oh it's not like it's easy to just go out there and get pregnant when you have endometriosis all of the time either so i just really um have a lot of respect um for the women who are living with this condition and i hope that um medically there is some solution that is produced eventually that can that can help these women deal with endometriosis and then all of the negative symptoms that come along with it and i agree completely um that irony of that was not lost on me when i was doing research you know multiple articles said pregnancy it helps lessen the symptoms mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. all i could think about is all those ladies that are like trying to get pregnant but that's what's preventing them from getting pregnant. right right so what a frustrating yeah what a frustrating situation goodness gracious well i know you'll have some more information for us at the end of the show about how we can get involved and um you know learn more about endometriosis so thank you for sharing what a great topic what a great topic to kind of shine a light on today awesome absolutely Miranda. So what is our motherhood topic for this episode? Oh boy. Well, let me just, I, I just gulped down my LaCroix. I always call it a LaCroix of my LaCroix. <laughs> um, yeah, but do. actually that's very fitting because um, we are going to um, have a deep dive today into Jean Piaget. Who I'm sure, oh, I'm sure he your would French love on. A, um, a Lacroix too. You know, I always thought that Jean Piaget was French, but turns out he was Swiss. He was Swiss. What oh. do you know, little Swiss cake roll guy? Wow. <laughs> Oops. I feel like that's actually a common misconception. I really feel I thought he was like French too. Piaget is like such a French thing, you know. Piaget with his baguettes, <laughs> you know. But no, he's yeah, he's, not. he's, he's Swiss. So, and I don't wow. think we have, um, you know, little, little nuanced things we do for people from Switzerland like we do from people. Not that I remember aware that of. thing that came out and it was like, I am a little tired. <laughs> and everybody did that for like years. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to talk about Jean Piaget. He um, is really noted as one of the most influential early childhood psychologists. Um, And I've got an article here from positivepsychology.com. And what I wanted to kind of focus in on today, and this will be like such a great launching pad for so many of the other topics I want to get into about motherhood, ages and stages and brain development. Oh, Oh my gosh. I am such a nerd for the brain and neurology. It's like my side hobby. And the fact that Jean Piaget really kind of revolutionized the way that we understand a developing brain and so much of it is still very applicable is so fascinating to me. So what I just want to kind of dive into today are the um, different stages that he kind of identified, what's going on with those stages, because we'll be referencing them all of the time from here on out. Jean Piaget. Just for my own purposes, mm-hmm. Piaget. Indeed. What era? Like, when did, when mm. was he living? When did he do his let's, work? Let's see here. Let's see here. He was born in 1896. So right at the turn of the century there. 
right okay. at the turn of the century. And he was trained as a biologist originally um, and a philosopher. Okay. So very, oh, well, that makes very sense. good combination to be, you know, such an influential person in psychology. And I love the, the hard science there. Um, it's kind of like Alfred Adler, too, like the neurology and the science, but then also like the philosophy. And uh, Jean Piaget talked a yeah. lot about like morals and developing morals and stuff. So really great stuff. Um, again, people didn't really understand that children's brains are different from adults brains i mean obviously they know that children were different but there wasn't a lot of sense around well how does their brain change develop and grow over time and he was really the first one to say no this is this is how it works um and a huge part of that is the child's brain develops in response to their environment so you think about a kid who is number one well nourished and we know there are so many children who are malnourished and do not get the food that they need um and the nutrition that they need and so their brains do not develop as they should as a result of that um but then also like how involved are their parents what is their world like are they exposed to a lot of uh pollution or environmental stress and things like that basically as the child grows their brain grows as well so there are really four stages here i want to dive into a little bit they are the sensory motor stage which is from age zero to two the pre-operational stage, which is ages two to seven, approximately. The concrete operational stage, which is age seven to 11. And then the formal operational stage, which is 11-year-old all the way up through adulthood. Do those sound familiar? Like, did you learn about this in like Psych 101 or anything when you were in school? Um, I'm not sure about Psych 101, but definitely um, in a developmental there we go class that I okay took. okay. So this is ringing a bell, and I and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners too are like, oh, this sounds familiar. Uh, here it is. Here yeah. it is. So these four stages. Let's start with sensory motor. So this is a little bye bye bye, a little bye bye. And babies' <laughs> brains are like basically just mush. <laughs> there's there's not a lot um, that's that's really developed there yet. But what's amazing is so much happens between ages zero and two, and as those neurons are um, communicating with each other through these different channels, they get stronger and stronger, right? And that continues all the way on through our our life. And I won't get into like the full breakdown of of neuron cells because. I could do an entire episode on that. Melanie's shaking her head. We'll save that for another <laughs> She's time. She's like, please don't, Miranda. Please don't talk about cellular structure. <laughs> I don't think we need to go that deep. Okay, I mean, I want to. But um, the main thing I know you, you need do. to know, and especially moms out there who have a baby between, you know, an under two-year-old little baby, their brain is basically figuring out, responding to the environment, and it's just beginning to understand cause and effect. You know, if I make this face at you and my, my mom smiles at me, if I make this sound, my mom's going to make a sound back to me. Um, they're going to... If I make this sound, they're going to bring me food. Right, right. If I cry, I might get a bottle. They're, they're beginning to figure these things out. Um, their vision changes so much, um, especially within like the first year of, of a baby's life. But, but what's really interesting and what you'll see right at the end of the sensory motor phase is the baby's kind of beginning to figure out that they're their own free agent and they can kind of manipulate their environment to get the things they want right? So if they see a toy that they want to get, yes. they, they're able to understand, well, if I reach for the toy over here, I can get it. Um, if their bottle is out of reach, they can get their bottle. I, I understand if I hold my bottle this way, I can drink out of it. You know, snacks, food, puffs, whatever. They, um, they're, under, they're putting all of these little combinations together between their behavior and what's the environmental outcome for that. And they're really gearing up for the terrible. They twos. really, really are, and and it's such a beautiful thing because they are learning so much in in that. Absolutely. But what's really important to keep in mind is they are so egocentric at that point. They do not think that anything exists outside of their own perception. So one of the major turning points for um, moving from the sensory motor, motor to the pre-operational phase is this thing called object permanence. Do you remember what that is? Yes. Yeah. That's, um, I, if I recall, that's where if a baby sees an object and you remove it from their site, they think it doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. 
Exactly. And and same thing with like their parents or their family members or the right. dog, you know, like these things just if they're not in my sight, then they're not real. Um, so it's really hard for them. And that's why I think so many babies have like severe separation anxiety when their parents leave and, and come into rooms and stuff. I mean, you can understand why that's pretty right. heavy. <laughs> like you don't exist anymore. <laughs> and then it's like, here I am through the nether portal. I'm back. So <laughs> so, so crazy um, that, that that's a, a thing. But once they get to be about somewhere between two and three, they begin to understand that, oh, just because I don't see something doesn't mean it's not there. And that's when your kid will remember, oh, I left this toy in my room or, oh, I left my my bottle over here. Let me go get it. And they'll they'll be able to remember those simple things like that. And, and they're not freaking out. Wow. I mean... I, I'm, I'm, we might have missed that phase in this house. I, I don't feel like uh, that offspring of mine remembers where he puts anything. You know, my husband doesn't either, so. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so maybe some people never grow out of that one, right? <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So um, also very important in pre-operational, and this shows up a lot in early childhood education, is categorization takes place. So they're able to identify shapes and colors and understand um, what animals are and and begin to name and classify different types of animals, begin to name and classify different shapes. Um, and they can even kind of make associations sometimes between the shapes and the animals. Okay. So I know that the cow says moo. I know that the chicken says cockadoodle-doo. Um, okay, yeah, that's a whole section of learning. Yeah. So it's it's making uh, generalizations or kind of drawing patterns between things that may seem unrelated. And a really good example of that is like green means go, red means stop. Um, right. And and so it, they, they're able to see that and, and kind of know what it means behind that. Um, they also are understanding something's bigger or smaller, um, if there's more, if there's less, that kind of thing. So at this point, they're still, and again, this is pre-operational. This is anywhere from age two to seven. And again, the the turning point here is really about, um, again, being egocentric and not being able to really empathize with other people. And I see that uh, childhood education is taking that into consideration. And I see a lot more out there now about teaching empathy and teaching children, Mm -hmm. you know, how would you feel if you were in this situation and kind of connecting emotions and getting them to get them outside of their own heads, I guess. But but they still don't fully have that that understanding of. Do you remember? Here's a good example. <laughs> My parents they had this picture of them at their wedding, and I always asked them, "Well, where was I?" Like, here's this picture of you guys. Where was I? And my mom's like, well, you weren't born yet. And so I just assumed that my mom was pregnant with me at her wedding (laughs) because I had to be in the picture. They couldn't have existed without me. You're really putting that on them, huh? (laughs) Well, I'm the oldest child. So, you know, so I think think it even came up in conversation one time where I was like, well, yeah, mom, I was in your belly when you got married. And my mom was like, uh, no, no, no. I had a glorious five (laughs) years before you were born. (laughs) So it's just funny how kids don't understand the experiences of, of of other people. They're not able to really wrap their brains around the fact that like adults in I their would life say that that's, had a whole yeah, life very before true. they were born, right? And so yeah. it, it falls flat when old timers, old timers, listen at me, um, when older adults and people say, well, back in my day, because kids have no concept yeah. of that, you know? No, All they, they don't. have is their little sliver of experience. So anyway, that's all pre-operational. Then we move into concrete operational. And the turning point for that is this sense of what's called conservation. And I knew what that was, but I had forgotten the word for it. So conservation is this sense that like, if I have a really skinny glass of water and it's like halfway full, and then I pour that into a really fat, empty jar, but it looks like it's, it's not as full, but it's the same amount of water. That's conservation. Right. It's this sense of like, um, uh, you know, things take up space depending on the volume, I guess, and not necessarily the appearance, if that makes sense. I'm okay. probably not explaining that very so, well So what all. age are we saying we are when we start to understand Around that? Around age seven. 
around age seven. Okay. And and you can do this experiment. I actually did this um, when I was in college with some with some kids um, that I found in a back alley one day. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, where did you find kids? these kids? It was probably my sisters and and her little friends because they were probably right around that age because I was so much older. And um, or my cousins or somebody, and I had like a skinny glass of milk and then like a short fat empty glass. And um, you know, I poured the same amount of milk in in each glass, but the skinny one made it look like there was more milk. And so I said, well, which one has more milk? And they all pointed to the skinny glass. Um, but right. then once you get to be somewhere like you know late seven year old, early eight year old, somewhere in there, you may understand. Well, no, it's the same amount. You're just putting it in a different container. It looks different, but it's the same amount. Yes. Also, at this point, they can better understand identity, um, which is the sense that, like, an item can still be the same, even if it looks different. So um, it's kind of this idea of, you know, well, if I've only ever seen brown horses, but then one day I see a black horse, I still know it's a horse, but and it has the same identity. So that's, that's kind of a very, um, <laughs> that's a very pre-operational example but anyway you kind of understand what I mean there yes no I understand (laughs) and they understand this sense of reversibility that items can be returned to their original state so they they can understand that things could have changed and they may look different now than they did originally whereas um, children under seven when they see it like that is what it is it never looked any different than that Um, okay that kind of registers at all (laughs) yeah well yeah no but it makes sense so they're beginning to understand that like just whole topics in like a larger sense yeah they're they're I think they just have a better sense of time too is it's like I'm seeing this at this point in time but who's to say that it was something different before or after this point of time that I'm seeing it if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So kind of a kind of an interesting thing there. Lots going on around that age. And then the last stage that we'll dig into today is the formal operational stage. This happens in like prepubescence, right around that time of like, and I think girls probably get into this a little bit earlier, but it's right around 11. So think 10, 11, 12, okay. that middle school kind of sense here. Gotcha. Um, children are coming into formal operational, and this is where they're actually able to have have more complex abstract thoughts. So they can think about abstract concepts not limited to a current time or person or situation. They can be very, very creative with that. And they can even begin to think through the nuances and the interconnectedness of these abstract concepts. So they can understand hypothetical situations and different possibilities. Um, They can kind of begin to play scenarios out in their mind and kind of think, okay, well, this could happen or that could happen or this could happen or what if that happened? And they can play that out. Whereas um, I think at an earlier age it's it's just a more linear there's not like all of this branching scenarios that could happen um it's where stuff gets complicated super complicated oh yeah oh yeah and this is also (laughs) where like ethics and reasoning begins to kind of shape your brain too and you may question some of the things that you were told growing up you may begin to kind of push back especially in your teenage years on even maybe some of the values and beliefs that you've had in your in your life growing up so um, their their reasoning just becomes so much better at this time. Um, the prefrontal cortex, if you will, is far more active, and the myelian sheaths around those neurons are just <laughs> really bulging up <laughs> and getting nice and firm there. So um, <laughs> the other thing is, they're they're no longer haphazardly approaching problems. They're able to apply things that they've learned from past problems and um, kind of make the outcome what they want. So it's just far more complex reasoning. So um, in a more systematic and logical manner. So those are the, that makes the four stages. What I think is interesting is um, the stages kind of match up with school. Like the, the, most, the one you just mentioned matches up with middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, the dividing line on the earlier ones is... Like, because elementary school is sort of divided in two parts. There's, like, K through second, and then there's, like, third through fifth. Mm -hmm. And it matches up with these stages almost exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me 
it kind of makes me think Piaget had this kind of figured out. And I think we've kind of built the education system around those those frameworks. It's kind of interesting. Definitely seems like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Marie Montessori has like a whole separate thing. We'll get into that in another episode. <laughs> I'm sure yes, we will. Yes, <laughs> but let me provide some summaries and takeaways here. Um, just know, moms, that your child's brain needs different things at different times. And don't expect your child to, like, be Albert Einstein at age three. <laughs> they, they just may not be able to conceptualize things in a, in a certain way. So we have to adapt as moms and kind of think on the level of our children and understand where they're at and provide them with the solutions that they need um, to help them kind of grow. So don't let yourself feel frustrated if your child isn't reaching a milestone. I always think about these things as, like, watercolors instead of, like, a cut and dry okay, now I'm this, now I'm this, now I'm this. There's always going to be a blend. But I would just encourage moms to think of positive ways that you can foster healthy brain development at different ages and stages in your child's life. And um, I think it would be awesome if our listeners out in our listening community wanted to share some of their thoughts and maybe things that they do with their kids at all these different ages and stages with us um, in like an email. And maybe we can even share those in an upcoming episode. So absolutely. Share share your ideas. Share away. There's lots of folks that, that love new ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Mel, I know you said you had a call to action for us today about endometriosis. What can we do to learn more and or possibly get involved? The organization that we're going to highlight today is called the Endometriosis Foundation of America, which is a mouthful. Um, the website is endofound.com. Org. Um, and what they do, um, they strive to increase disease recognition, they provide advocacy, facilitate expert surgical training, and also fund landmark research. From looking at their website, it is a very well-established organization. Um, they have groups and meetings all over the country, possibly the world. There's sub-organizations in pretty much every region from what I saw. Um, so we encourage you all to check that out. It looks like they're doing a lot of good work to try to get some answers and solutions for folks. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.